Well, it's it's midnight at, in Philadelphia, and you're getting yeah, married. 1230. 12.30. And you're getting married <laughs> when? Uh, about 3.30 this afternoon, technically. So less than so 24 like hours, about, you will be yeah, about, <laughs> a married man. I'll be off the market. And how do you feel about that, Nathaniel? I feel good. I feel relaxed. You should feel, feel good. good. You know, I, it, it always yeah. bothers me when people say, when you get married, everything changes. When I yeah, got married... It's my almost, ball and chain. Yeah, almost six years ago, I, I got married. And you know what? Nothing changed. It just We just right. carried on with our lives the way we were living it before. Right. There's just tax benefits and stuff like That's that. That's true. You have joint accounts <laughs> and everything's magical. If, you, if things change that drastically, you have a problem. Right. Anyways. I found out... Yeah, I found out this horrible thing about the person that I met. Yeah, I'm really. Just, whoa. Anyways. Yeah, but it's been it's it's been a wild ride. It's been a good ride. It's been a ride that I'll never take again as long as I live. <laughs> well, I, hope I, not. I hope. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. I don't plan on um, doing it again either. Because it's yeah, it's just been too much. It's taken away from everything else that I've tried to do. Uh, as an interesting side note, though, one of the things that I have pointed out to some of the people that have asked me about it, like you must be overwhelmed with work and blah 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 blah. Uh, yes. Uh, but that's kind of always because I always overbook myself. I always overschedule myself. I'm always pulling late nights and early mornings and really beating my body up in a way that I shouldn't. But what I've noticed, and it's always sort of been a hunch of mine, when you have less hours to work and you limit yourself, it seems like you actually get more done. For instance, yeah, for instance, let's say you're working from home doing design work or photo retouching or photography and you say you know what i'm gonna work today from eight o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon and i am not gonna work i'm not gonna start work a minute earlier i'm not gonna end work a minute later i need to get all of my to-do list done in that time surprise surprise you're probably gonna end up getting your to-do list done in that stretch of time it's pretty amazing but if you have that same to-do list and you say i'm gonna get it done from eight o'clock in the morning to ten o'clock at night you're going to get it done, but just it's going to take an additional five hours. So it's pretty crazy I, having sort of more strict, stringent deadlines. I'm, I'm not only am I getting what I need to get done done, I'm actually getting more done than I was ever getting done before. Uh, so it's it's kind of crazy. It's it's really kind of uh, it, it been an interesting, not even experiment, I guess a forced experiment, if you will, uh, something like that. But yeah, so... So I guess uh, I guess with that we should probably start the show. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Maybe you should get married more often and get more work done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, don't so do that. With, with that in mind, this is episode four of the We Geeks podcast. We've made it We're to number four. Design, photo, tech news, just kind of whatever strikes your fancy for the week. Indeed. Um, and it's brought and, to you, you know, by the good folks over at Squarespace.com. If you haven't checked out our WeGeeksPodcast.com website that was built on Squarespace, and it was incredibly easy to build. I did it in maybe like half an hour, maybe an hour, and updating it is just unbelievably simple. They've got unbelievable templates, all mobile responsive. By the way, I believe it's somewhere sometime in April, maybe sometime in March, Google is actually going to be taking into consideration mobile responsive websites. If your website is mobile responsive, it will actually rank better in Google search engine. So if your website isn't responsive, you may want to do that. And Squarespace's templates are all mobile responsive and they're beautiful and all that shabazz. That's not a word, but it is. Yeah, well, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm here on the WeGeeks podcast site now and it's just, it's, it's so easy to work with Squarespace, so easy to set it up. So just so right, right? Like in, in all of the things that aren't right, Squarespace is so right. It really uh, is. And someone actually right. tweeted at me. They said Squarespace isn't customizable and all that jazz for people who are looking for something more advanced. And actually on every single page, and you can do it all globally as well, if you do know HTML and CSS, you can pretty much customize everything. It's just, it's not a setting that's right smack in your face like Dreamweaver might be, but those settings are there if you want more customization. Yeah, I think it's called like the code injector or something, and it's basically yeah. a, an HTML window that pops up, and you can write HTML, CSS, all that stuff. I mean, of course, by its very nature, a framework always limits you, but a framework is meant to limit you in a good way. So while, yes, nothing is as customizable per se as starting with a blank server, a blank <laughs> MySQL database, and a blank HTML page, but Squarespace's strength is in the fact that me, young business owner, I know nothing about web design. I can go and start a Squarespace website and have a website in no joke an hour, an hour and a half and have something that has galleries and is fully responsive and beautiful and easy and just yes. 
Yeah, and if you do want to take advantage of Squarespace, it's 8 bucks a month. You get a free domain name if you sign up for a whole year at once. And if you use the coupon code WEGEEKS, that's W-E-G-E-E-K-S, you get 10% off, just in case you couldn't spell. Yeah, there you go. You got it. I, thought, I almost saw you misspelled it for a second. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And in very in kind of other news, but it's kind of similar news, we got our first patron on Patreon. Thank you, Jordan, for being our first patron or Patreon supporter. And if you guys want to help out, tip our show monthly, dollar a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, patreon.com slash we geeks. Yeah, go Jordan. All right, so getting into the fun stuff, now that we've got past the sponsor stuff that makes this show possible, the first thing is kind of fun. I actually thought this was a joke and or some sort of, some sort of Photoshop contest or whatever. There's a picture going around. <laughs> this is so crazy. It's a weasel <laughs> on the back of a woodpecker flying in the air. Have you I, seen this? I did. I saw it briefly on Facebook, and like you, I thought it was a joke. Um, but just looking at it for a couple seconds, I was like, eh. I mean, I guess you never really know. I mean, something will probably come out and be like, they faked it. I mean, you remember the whole Kyle Lambert thing with the Morgan Freeman painting where everyone's like, he faked it, and here's a video proving that it's fake mm, or whatever. People are still going yeah. off on that. Right, exactly. So there's always going to be naysayers, but whatever. Um, but no, I mean, I looked at it, and it looks pretty legitimate. I mean, it's... It, it's uh, kind of the shot of a lifetime because it's so bizarre uh, looking and just a, such a what the heck did I just see fly by me kind of thing. <laughs> well, uh, the, uh, the photographer Martin LeMay, I believe it's pronounced, he actually showed a few other pictures where he was showing the weasel kind of climbing on the back of this woodpecker and a bunch of them were blurry. But you can definitely see that these events actually occurred and he kind of showed the sequence of which they occurred. And luckily, this picture which is, I'll put it in the show notes, whether you're on iTunes or SoundCloud or WeGeeksPodcast.com. It, like you said, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And it's one of those pictures you don't think is actually real, but it's a weasel flying on the back of a woodpecker. Yeah. I mean, if I was being picky, I wish it was a little sharper, a little higher well, resolution. you can always bring it into Photoshop and but, use a shake reduction. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, still, like, this is the kind of photo that sort of, you can throw all the technical junk out the window. We take photos to tell stories, and this is, you know, if I were to <laughs> show up with this photo. Exactly. So, uh yeah, definitely an interesting an interesting shot. You can, Petapixel uh, was, uh, the, I believe, the link you shared with me, uh, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. So if you go over to Petapixel, you can check it out um, on their site, and it's it's pretty fascinating. And P artists all over the world are taking this thing and photoshopping the left shark on top of it and photoshopping people and all these different things. It's kind of fun to see what comes of this. And I think Adobe actually tweeted it to see if people would take their creativeness and just go to town with this. Right. So that, that was fun. Now, switching gears into tech news, a lot was announced this week, especially in the in the phone space. HTC announced their new HTC One M9, which seems kind of disappointing. It's basically the same design as the M8, and as The Verge calls it, it's the world's most beautiful disappointment. Yeah, I saw this phone, and I saw a couple people doing um, reviews for it on YouTube. Um, specifically, I saw Marcus Brownlee, I think he was actually Snapchatting mm. from the, whatever, he HTC, was, yeah. Google or Android or something, uh, something, one of those launch events. Next thing I know, it's showing up in, in the news feed, uh, his review of it. I don't remember what exactly he says about it, but um, it, when I when I saw it, my initial reaction was it looks very much the same. Just from a cosmetic standpoint, it looks very much like the other HTC phones. They all have that very distinctive bottom bar on the bezel and the top bar on the bezel. Um, not, that, not that I don't like the design or anything like that. I've always actually thought of all the Android phones, the HTC uh, has some pretty nice looking phones. They've got, you know, a nice looking interface as well, UI in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I've never, I've never touched the phone. I've ever used it. So I don't know for sure whether or not it's something that's great or like the verge calls it the most beautiful disappointment. <laughs> yeah. The HTC one, I've definitely used it. I was considering purchasing it at one point and it's, it's a beautiful phone. Don't get me wrong. The M8, the M9, both beautiful phones, but I think the biggest disappointment in the M9 is the camera. In the past, they've had this weird technology of their camera where it was like a five megapixel but with different sensors. I don't know what it was. But right. now they, I think it's a 16 megapixel camera or something like that. But 
the shots that I've seen, at least from The Verge, have been very mediocre. The shot, even the outdoor shots, there's a lot of glare. It's very washed out. It just doesn't look like a camera on a mobile phone should be these days. Right. Yeah, and H- if I recall correctly, HTC one or the HTC line in general, I should say, um, always had of the the Android phones was, and maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall the HTC uh, typically had the best review when it came to the camera because that was always one of the big uh, issues with Android phones in general, right? Was like. We, we can't really get amazing, amazing photos. And I still run into people with like the Samsung S2s and stuff like that. And the photos, it's like the front-facing camera on the iPhone 4, which is nothing to write home about. In fact, right. if you're writing home about it, you're writing home to complain about it. Um, so, you know, it, it is a little weird, right? Like, like you're saying that it's it's this, uh, this disappointing, especially on the camera front, because it really seemed like HTC was sort of cutting their teeth with the cameras in their Android phones. Yeah, because in the past, they weren't really focusing on megapixels. They were focusing on better sensors and th- better technology other than, you know, a million megapixels. But now it seems like they're switching gears and focusing on megapixels and maybe the sensors are lacking. I don't know what happened to the camera or maybe, you know, maybe the verge, whoever was taking those photos had a terrible day and just forgotten how to take photos. But the right. pictures that I saw, and I do trust the verge. They, they have an amazing team of, of writers and reviewers and the pictures did not look that good. But what I will say on the other side of things, the, the phone that did come out or was announced this week that does look very promising is the Samsung Galaxy S6 and the Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge, which has a completely new design. It's completely metal, completely glass. It's somewhat more beautiful than the previous Galaxy S5 and S4, which I didn't think were that nice of phones, but this one is definitely more beautiful. However, the downsides, and a lot of people are complaining, and this is something that Android fanboys always used in their arguments against iPhone users. There's no more swappable, ba- swappable batteries. So if your battery dies halfway through the day, you can't just swap it out. You can't, there's no expandable memory. So if you get a 32 gigabyte Samsung Galaxy S6, you're stuck with 32 gigabytes. And it has a protruding camera, which a lot of Android users bash the iPhone for their little sticking out camera. I, I do understand the advantage of having the swappable memory. That would mm-hmm. be great. Um, but I would love to see the statistical breakdown of the number of people that actually use it because I'm sure it's the kind of thing that it's nicer to have in theory, but who the heck is filling a 128 gigabyte card? You know, I just rented a 4k camera, uh, for my wedding for the bridal party to screw around with, which I don't even know if they're gonna be able to figure out how to use it. I got a 512 gigabyte card to go with it. Uh, That's understandable for a camera that's shooting 4K, right? And we're not we're not going to be shooting 4K. We're going to be shooting like a 2.5K at a high, you know, megabits per second. Um, it, it, that's understandable. Um, but 128 meg, I mean, wh- what the heck are you filming with your phone all day? If, if you have a 128 gigabyte card expansion, you're going to need the swappable battery because you're going to be driving that processor like crazy to fill that much memory. And I think the same thing goes with the battery. You know, again, nice in theory to have. I'm not going to deny uh, that'd be amazing, but uh, I understand the memory stick actually a lot more than I do the swappable battery because mm-hmm. I honestly I don't know anybody who has you know carries an extra battery for their cell phone around with them. No, very few people. And I mean, on my it, iPhone, right? I mean, even, uh, not to cut you off, but even like mm-hmm. iPhone users who have those like battery extensions, how many people even buy those things? You know what I mean? I mean, I know. Well, I guess I know a few people that have them, but not a lot. Yeah. Well, we do have one of those. Um, portable battery packs that we take when we're going to conferences where we're pretty much at a conference com- constantly tweeting and taking pictures from 8 a.m. in the morning till 8 a.m. at night. And right. the battery does drain, so we just you know plug it into this thing that carries around with us, which I think is a perfect solution if you're not looking to swap your battery out. But in terms of memory, I've never filled up my phone. Right now I have the 30, no, 64 gigabyte iPhone uh, six and maybe I've used 10 gigabytes and I take a lot of photos, a lot of videos, but I know it's frustrating, but I completely understand there's so much more technology in the Samsung galaxy S sixes absolutely is necessary. They just couldn't allow you to swap the battery anymore. I mean, it's nice to have, but 
if they wanted to put all that extra technology in, they just couldn't do it. Like, yeah, well, for, for example, the, the new Samsung Pay, which we'll get to in a second, that would not have been possible if they had the swappable or removable battery. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's, it's a beautiful camera. I mean, I'm just even here while we're talking about just flipping through the gallery here on Verge, um, and it's shiny and it's you know it's great looking um but yeah i mean of all of all of the of all the reasons to go with the samsung or, or, or an android phone in general over an iphone swappable battery and removable external media seem to be pretty small i do uh, admittedly i wouldn't mind having external media on an iphone i don't think about it now with my iphone 6 because i just went with the 128 gig version and said forget it you know i'm not going to mess around with having to worry about you know emptying my cash and you know consolidating memory and icloud backup and all that other junk uh, just, you know, give me the 128 gig and I'm, I'm just going to be done with all that stuff. Um, but there's so many other great, powerful, technically advanced features in, in the, the S series from Samsung and really kind of always has been since like the S3, right? I mean, it's been in a, a pretty incredible phone series for Samsung. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm just looking at it from the outside in, but it seems like there are a lot of other great things that outweigh these couple little things that, that people oh, there, kind of hard. There on. totally is. And in the past, I have absolutely hated Samsung's operating system, their skin or their modification to the Android operating system. But it looks like from what I've seen in the keynote that they had, they've completely redesigned it, they've cleaned it up, they've removed a lot of garbage, and it finally looks like an operating system that's not filled with junk and ugly UI. They hired an actual designer, or maybe they're using Google's new uh, whatever, uh, what's that, what's it called, the Google's new, uh, the, oh, I don't know what it's, the jelly bean or lollipop. No, there's like a design or... style that they have oh, for their operating system, whatever I, it is. Yeah, I don't someone will know. Someone will tweet me and say, oh, I can't believe you, you're an Apple fanboy, you don't remember these things. But anyway, regardless, the UI is clean and it looks really nice. But I think the biggest feature that's coming with the Galaxy S6 and X6 Edge, other than the curved screen, is Samsung Pay, which is basically Apple Pay on steroids. So if you're if you're not familiar with Samsung Pay, it allows you to not only pay for your purchases using NFC, very similar to the to Apple Pay with your fingerprint and yep. all that fun, all the security stuff, but it also has a magnetic strip generator. So if you go to a store and they don't accept NFC, they've definitely got a uh, a strip reader so you can just swipe your credit card but what samsung pay allows you to do is just hold your phone near that magnetic strip slider thing whatever they call it right. and it will actually transmit some sort of magical secure code and allow you to pay that way very similar to apple pay so in a way it's i if it works as they claim it does it's actually better than apple pay i think yeah, I mean, the whole mobile pay arena is very interesting because it seems like there are um, certain stores that even have like the little spot that you'll just press your card against, right? Mm. Um, and it just doesn't seem to – like I don't know. There, there, There's a whole series or chain of convenience stores here in the Philadelphia area called Wawa, and mm -hmm. Wawa has it on a lot of their card readers um, – and I, I used to have a card. I think it was my old PayPal card that had like I could just hold it against that and boop, it would just you know scan it right in. Um, but then I don't know. I just I just stopped using it, and it's just sort of you know goes back to the swipe, and inevitably a couple years into your card, the swipe strip goes bad, and you're swiping in plastic bags, and you know then you want to use a plastic bag to suffocate yourself. Uh, <laughs> so you know I, I don't know. I guess I'll be interested to see. I feel like you know a, a Go or not Google. I'm sorry. Apple had the whole paybook passbook thing, and I think even mm. before that, didn't they have something some other payment method? And it just it's never seemed to take off um but i mean you even have like isn't it geico now that also has the the mobile app where you can just like you know hey go when you get in a car accident you know show you this and it's boom and you take pictures and you send it in through your app and whammy kablammy you have like some barcoders i don't, I don't even know what the, the 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 use of it is but it seems like anything where you're taking your phone right you walk into the store and you show you the, your screen to somebody you say hey scan this um and i'm gonna pay for something or you know let me let me pay with that with my phone Boop, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. It just seems very 
foreign. I don't know if it's just going to take a number of years for everyone to adopt it and get used to it. But I mean, you know, maybe for you and I, it's something where it's like, hey, I'll do that. But you know, what about the mom with two kids who's going into the store? Is she pulling out her phone saying, hey, I'm going to pay with that with my iPhone? And what are the real advantages to her? You know, other, I mean, we could talk about the technical security, everything like that. But the whole, the whole field, the whole changing landscape of it is definitely interesting. And I, I don't really know what to think about it. I don't know if it's going to take off. And until you convince people that it's going to take off, I mean, who's going to adopt it other than just sort of the techie, geeky, cutting edge? It's very different. I'll I'll definitely say that. When Apple Pay was announced, I was skeptical. One, of the security benefits. And then two, of how well this thing will work. But I actually went to Walgreens shortly after I got my iPhone 6. And I tapped it on the, the... little receiver, the NFC receiver, right. it dinged. And I was like, okay, what, what next? And they're like, that's, that's it. It's done. And it's, it's actually quite amazing because it doesn't send an actual credit card number. Like you were talking earlier about your PayPal card, how you tapped it on the little Wawa thing and you know, you're pay, paying that way. In that case, Wawa has your credit card on file because you just transmitted that number to validate right. it. But when you're dealing with Apple pay or Samsung pay or Google Pay is available now or will be or something like that. Mm. You're not transmitting any credit card numbers. It's a temporary credit card number that's generated for that specific purchase. So if Wawa gets hacked or Home Depot, which has been hacked before, your credit card is nowhere to be found, which is, which I think is, is incredible. And it's a huge security benefit. And I don't think a lot of people are understanding that yet. And they're very scared. I was actually at Walgreens, was it last week, I think, picking up our prescription? And I used my Apple Pay to pay for my purchase. And the cashier was like, yeah, my husband won't let me use Apple Pay. I want to use it, but he won't let me use it because he's not convinced that it's secure enough. So I started talking to her about all the security benefits and how it works on the technical side. And it seemed like it was clicking. But I think because she was of an older generation, right? it's just it's very different. And people are not necessarily open to that sort of thing, especially when you're dealing with money. Right. It, yeah. And I guess that's really kind of the sensitivity of it is the whole money, personal finances, everybody, oh, we can't do it. We don't talk about money or uh, money, politics, religion, right? Aren't those like the, the three big no-nos? Um, and it's mm. just, there's always the privacy shrouding that stuff. But I guess the other uh, thing about that is, is this going to turn into... I mean, are, are all of these systems going to be seamlessly intertwining amongst themselves? Is this going to be an HD video versus Blu-ray war where eventually one's going to win out? You know, Google Pay, Apple Pay, you know, Android Pay, HTC One Pay. I mean, is every is everyone going to start coming up with their own, you know, insert phone manufacturer here pay kind of thing? I I think so. It seems that way. However, you know, even Apple Pay came out with Apple Pay. Apple obviously came out with Apple Pay, right. which uses NFC. Mm-hmm. Samsung Pay is now available, which is NFC plus the magnetic strip thing. Yep. But at the core, the technology that receives the payments isn't going to change because that would be an a crazy undertaking that I don't think retailers just want to do. You're not going to see Walmart completely replace all of their payment systems because one company came out with a new payment processor. Right, yeah. So I think I think we're going to start to see more retailers accept NFC payments because now Apple's doing it, Samsung's doing it, and maybe in the future Apple will introduce that magnetic strip technology. I know Samsung bought a company that uh, produced that technology, so I don't know if Apple's allowed to, or maybe they'll buy the patent. I don't know what it is. But I do think going forward, it's all going to be NFC or this magnetic strip thing. Because like I said, at the core of it, the payment receivers are not going to change. It just right. doesn't make financial sense to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting thing. I, I, for me, I'll be interested to kind of sit back and watch and see what happens and where it goes. Um, I'm not against jumping in and giving it a shot. I, I honestly have just never even set up my Apple Pay or you know, I, I guess the understanding behind it is so limited in my mind um, that I just, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't do that, you know. So I, it, it is definitely something that I should uh, take a look at. I have it somewhere here on my phone. I don't even know where it is, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just looking through. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting and something that I'm going to keep my eye on for sure. Yeah, and another thing that we might want to keep our eye on, another thing that was announced this week HTC announced 
another virtual reality headset called Vive, V-I-V-E. And they're actually teaming up with Valve, which is a huge gaming company mm-hmm. who produces, and people Valve hates when people talk about Half-Life, but it's probably what most people associate Valve with. They are coming out with a new H, uh, new virtual reality headset. A lot of companies are doing this. Sony is doing this. And uh, Samsung, I believe, is, has a virtual reality headset. Apparently, it's going to come up by the end of the year. And this is one of those things that I'm just not convinced. Maybe because I haven't used it yet. But they all look great on all the videos that they show. And you can immerse yourself in these magical worlds. And it's all seamless. And it looks like you're there. But I don't know. I just don't know how how to feel about this without actually having used one of these headsets. Have you used one yet? I've never used one. I'd, I've never even seen one in use. Um, I mean, I like on videos and stuff, obviously I have, but I'm talking about like I've seen people with Google Glass. Um, but I think something like this almost goes along the same lines as Google Glass because you're you're making a commitment you know, when you put this thing on, right? It's like you're walking around. You don't see the real world around you. Um, you look kind of like an idiot wearing it um you know and i you know it's wearable tech right but it's not like every day i'm wearing this uh you know every like a smartwatch, obviously but i think it kind of falls into the same category as as something like google glass and um you know like a samsung watch or the apple watch or whatever the iWatch or whatever it is um you know, I, I don't know. I guess this this the Vive uh, virtual reality thing is this like a competitor to the Oculus Rift or Rift, oh, whatever yeah, it's called. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's a direct competitor. It's um, it's mainly for gaming and those sorts of things. And there's there was a rumor today that Valve is actually experimenting with Half Life for the HTC Vive, which is very interesting because people have been waiting for Half Life Three forever right. and it's been like an ongoing gag but you know if if that happens that might actually push me to try out one of these things how do you know what the projected or msrp uh price for these things is the the manufacturers not a clue i don't think they announced it's not even i don't think developers even have them yet it's something that they say consumers will get by the end of the year but i don't think there's a price yet right because i think that's i mean right would that would that make sense that this this is going to stand or fall on the price tag I mean, if this is something that a teenage kid can get or convince his parents to buy, uh, you'll have them in every household. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. I mean, it's the kind of thing that, you know, you, you, you this is one step up from the steering wheel and gas pedal, right, for the racing games. It just is. Um, and it's not as, like, big and bulky and potentially television set breaky as, like, something like a rifle for deer hunter or something like that, kind of swinging it around the room, you know, blasting zombies or anything like that. <laughs> You're just kind of doing your thing. I, mean, I think the Wii, right? The Wii was a huge hit. And, you know, those steering wheels and, uh, and gas pedals, they're, you know, people buy them. They're they're affordable. So who's going to make this virtual reality headset that's affordable? I think that's going to be the key. Because like you said, you look at the technology, and you're like, well, it looks pretty realistic. You know what I mean? Pair this with a surround sound system, and you're probably going to have a gaming experience like you've never experienced before. Um, so I'm sure it's got to be totally bizarre using one for the first time. Cause I mean, just imagine oh, you're playing something like call of duty and you're walking down a corridor and somebody starts shooting at you. You're used to, you know, using your mouse or, you know, your, your AWDS, you know, or your joystick to, to spin around. Right. And instead this is, you need to turn your head physically. And then you take the, the virtual uh, reality headset off and somebody starts shooting at you. You're playing a different game. Do you still turn your head, you know, when it's really just the the joystick on the, the game controller that you should be, uh, you know, controlling? I don't know. It'll just be kind of fun stuff like that that would be interesting to see. But I think I think something like this kind of stands or falls on the price tag. Oh, yeah, totally. I would be very interested in trying one of these out because I'm a, I'm a big gamer and I would love to you know, quote unquote, step into the game that I'm playing to see it completely all around me, be able to move with the, my character and stuff like that. But I, at this point, I don't think I would pay more than, I would say $500 for one at the moment. But we're seeing a lot of them start to leak out, you know, obviously the Oculus Rift and there was the Sony one and there's a Samsung one, I think. And now this HTC Vive with Valve. So hopefully with all of these coming out, or at least sometime in the future, that will hopefully push the price point down a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say about it. I don't know that that much about them, but uh, I mean, I look at it and I say 299, like 299 is sort of what I yeah, look I'd at pro- it. Yeah, I'd probably do that. You know what I mean? Like 299 seems like that would be a fair price for something like that. Um, and even at that might be a little bit expensive, but yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the last story we want to cover before we get into questions, we're going to keep this podcast somewhat short because Nathaniel has some marriage thing tomorrow. Yeah, I'm supposed to go get um, married or whatever. <laughs> I just saw a story, and this kind of bounces off what we were talking about last week with the net neutrality stuff. Comcast is apparently blocking usage of HBO Go on PlayStation 4. So if you have a PlayStation 4 and you go to the HBO Go app and you try to log in with your Comcast credentials, you're not going to be able to use it, which kind of goes off what we were going on last week about companies like Comcast and Time Warner controlling our internet. Yeah. And do you know, I mean, win one for net neutrality, right? (laughs) I guess we'll see where it goes. I mean, you know, whatever. Um, But is it just, they're blocking HBO Go based on the fact that you have a PlayStation 4 and are trying to access it through that? Well, no one they no one from Comcast has given an answer yet. People have been trying to get an answer, and they refuse to answer. Um, but it sounds like, from what people are trying to unravel from this story, is they you have Comcast, right? Obviously, right. you have Comcast Internet. They want you to purchase Comcast yes. Television in order to use. Now, I have actually, I have a story about this. When I moved into my new house just a month ago, we got Comcast Internet. And we got DirecTV television, uh, satellite. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, uh-oh is ind- indeed. So I got the Comcast internet. I got that all set up. They called me three times within a week before my installation for my internet trying to sell me a television package. Mm-hmm. And every single time I told them, we don't own a television, which was, <laughs> which was a lie, by the way. I said, we don't own a television. I do not want your television packages. And every single time they said, oh no, you don't need a TV. You can watch Comcast television on your computer, which, which is ridiculous because I've had Comcast television before and you can watch some shows on your computer, yeah. but a lot of them you cannot. You need a physical television that's hooked up to some cable. Yeah, I mean, I've so, noticed, I, you know, I, I am a, I'm a purveyor of these sports and I've noticed ESPN, ESPNGo.com or whatever it's called. Um, I used to be able to go is ESPN3.com is what it used to be called. Now it's this ESPN Go thing. And you used to be able to pretty much watch whatever they had on. Like they put stuff on that was available to watch. And you couldn't get everything, of course. But now it's sort of just like a portal where, you know, I'll say, all right, there's the event I want to watch. Bam. And it's like, all right. It looks like your Comcast package doesn't have the appropriate credentials to allow you to watch it. And then like, you know, so not only is it ESPN, but now like MSNBC, their website, NBC Sports, you know, there's all kinds of websites now where you'll go and it's like, this isn't included in your cable package, therefore, no. And then it's just Google, where's a live leak for whatever, you know what I mean? And yeah, (laughs) there's always a way around it, but uh you know, uh, the the We Geeks podcast does in no way uh, support or condone illegal activity. <laughs> of course not. So yeah, that's what I think. I think Comcast is bothered that people are going to be eventually signing up for the HBO Go's standalone service, which is rumored to be $15 a month. Yep. And they want you to pay Comcast for the exact same service because you're going to be paying $30 or $40 extra for their stupid television package, which contains 900 channels you'll never watch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've always thought from day one, I mean, I haven't had cable pretty much ever, even growing up just wasn't, mm-hmm. which wasn't a thing. I mean, I've got a, a tele a flat screen hanging right on my wall here, you know, next to my computer desk. Um, and I basically use it. I've Chromecast and I Chromecast everything through my phone. Yeah. And honestly, usually it's YouTube. You know, I watch a lot of documentary type stuff. That's what I that's what I enjoy when I have the time to watch anything at all. We're all like put podcasts on there, you know, that people have all Pandora through it, you know, everything like that. I mean, that's what I use my TV for, for crying out loud. 
loud. You know, and it's a smart TV, you know, 1080p HD, 42 inch hanging on the wall. It's not like I've got, you know, this old box that's just there. And, you know, yeah, I'll get the calls from Comcast too. Uh, Sir, we would just like to let you know that you're a valued customer of Comcast. (laughs) And we see that you've got a very, you know, high end internet package. We just want to let you know that if you go with the Comcast triple play package, $99.99 a month, you'll get phone, TV, and internet. I'm like, look, I'm paying 110 bucks a month for internet. That's all I need, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to sell me on any kind of. I, I don't need a home phone number one. It's 2015, right? <laughs> I mean, we're all getting rid of our home phones uh, and the TV. I'm not going to use. You know what I mean? If you and I'll always tell them the same thing. If you allow me to build a package, right? Like if you say it's two bucks a month for any of these channels, and you can take 15 channels and build your own package. Like I would consider something like that. You know, yeah. I could go ESPN, I could go Discovery Channel, History Channel, you know, CNN, Fox News, ooh, uh, MSNBC, <laughs> right? I could just get like, you know, some of the political news stuff, some of the sports news stuff, some of the world news stuff, uh, and then a few documentary channels, you know, the, the le- well, not really learning channels, it's a bunch of crap these days, but you know, whatever, you know, just like a nice buffet of 15 channels. I don't need the home shopping network. I don't need a freaking Lifetime. You know what I mean? I'm not sitting around watching Desperate Housewives or, you know, the Mothers of Orange County or whatever. I don't even know. I don't even know what the shows are called, right? Here come <laughs> or there goes Honey Boo Boo, right? I don't watch any of that crap. I don't know. You're so, getting married tomorrow. You that yeah. might change. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I so I in my mind, that would be the smart move for cable companies, you know, and, oh, and totally. I feel like they would gain a lot of customers back. And you, what do you have people paying a hundred bucks a month for a cable package? Or are you paying more? I don't know. I don't. I honestly, I don't even know the price points. But I would think you could make a whole lot more money by just having people buy the channels they want. Um, and saying, look, you can buy an umbrella package if you want and just get everything for X number of dollars a month, right? And I mean, still to this day, right? I mean, HBO and Showtime are usually, Cinemax, whatever, they're usually add-ons to your cable package as it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. As this additional channel. So why not do that with the other channels? I, I just don't understand it. It's never made sense. You know, you can have your premium, you know, channels like HBO, obviously is going to be a premium thing. Let that be 15 bucks a month, fine. Maybe ESPN, there's more demand for it. Make that 10 bucks a month, whatever. You know, people, the, the market's going to dictate what you can charge, right? You know, I mean, for the, the Spanish gospel channel is like a 50 cent a month channel, right? <laughs> and and history channels maybe a $12 a month channel, right? I mean, so you're going to have your differences, but I feel like there's a lot more money to be made by the cable. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's, re- there's a reason they're doing it the way they're doing it, but uh, it, yeah, it is interesting on the heels of all the net neutrality stuff. Yeah, and I think... I hope at least companies like Apple are trying to make this happen with our Apple TV and Google, maybe the Chromecast, maybe Google's trying to do it as well. But I think we're going to see it over the next few years. HBO's already coming out with their standalone, like I mentioned earlier, for 15 bucks a month. And apparently Apple is trying to figure all this stuff out, whether we see it or not, or whether Comcast is paying off these other networks to not go standalone. Who the heck knows? But I think over the next few years, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, just the way we've seen it with YouTube, right? I mean, the way media is served um, with Facebook. And I think that's where it all began. There's the pro- proliferation of people on Facebook. You real Facebook, at least, realized we can't just have every single status update going out to everybody because people would miss more than they don't miss. And they would miss a lot of the stuff that they really want to see. So we'll let kind of the, 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 the chaff fall to the bottom and the cream rise to the top at least according to our algorithm. And then everybody, you know, YouTube started changing the way content was delivered. And then things like Instagram video, Vine, Snapchat started coming along. You know, Twitter's always been there to shorten our attention span. Um, and just the, I don't know how TV is going to work with that um, and, and become a much more mobile platform, I, I think is going to be very interesting. I mean, just I mean, like the ESPN app, to, to, for an example, just did an update, and you know they've got much bigger pictures in it now. That it's not just like headline dominated with a small thumbnail next to it. It's a huge image with a small headline and maybe like three or four lines of text above it, uh, sort of you know re- reading you into the article, if you will. Um, you know, so all these kind of little changes, you know, that you notice and you see, um, all have to do with this very rapidly changing mobile landscape. I mean, my sister the other day they were over here. 
um, making cookies as wedding favors. And my sister just jokingly said to me, you know, like, oh, you still use a computer? You know, it's 2015. Where this is a smartphone generation. <laughs> you know, and she's 17 years old. And, you know, she's joking around about it, but there's much truth in jest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, she, so she said that just thinking it was a passing remark, but I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's something I've been thinking about with, you know, Tutvid for a while. You know, it's just everything has to be mobile accessible and relatively fast. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, yeah, I think it's all just part of the changing landscape of media delivery in general. Fast, continually changing, uh, streamable, downloadable, on the go, uh, easily shareable, and, and everybody's going to try to be creating this viral, quick-hitting, uh, shareable content. Yeah, and for a lot of things, you really don't need a computer. I never really thought of that in depth, but these days, you know, obviously we need computers because we're editing photos all day, we're creating tutorials, making fancy designs and stuff, but for most things that people do, emails, Snapchatting, Instagram, that's all done on your phone and tablet, which is crazy to think that, I don't think computers will be phased out at all because there still will will be professionals who need them, but... I think over time, we're going to see a lot more things like there's a very good chance that within the next few years, you can be doing all of your photo editing on a tablet. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So moving on to questions, we have four questions this week. And then at the end of it, we will pick our $25, either Amazon or iTunes winner. The first question is from Geek Wills on Twitter. I believe these are all from Twitter, actually, with the hashtag WeGeeks. He says, let's make things... Ooh, excuse me. He says, let's make things interesting for we geeks. If you could have one person dead or alive as your dinner guest, who would it be? Who would it be? Uh, I, there's so many different ways you could go with this. Uh, I would love Mark Twain would be an interesting dinner guest. Winston Churchill would be an interesting dinner guest. Uh, John freaking Lennon would be an interesting dinner guest. Steve Jobs would oh. be an interesting dinner guest. Uh, if I could have one person, I mean, sheesh, that's a, that's a really difficult question. I don't know. I mean, if I had, I, I, I went right to Leonardo da Vinci. I was Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. He kind of, he kind of covers you, the science yeah. and the art and just the literary excellence and brilliance. Yeah. And I would go and you, you kind of touched on mine. I would go with Steve Jobs, not just cause I'm an Apple fanboy, because I think he, well, maybe Elon Musk. He's kind of interesting too, and he's alive. But both of them have minds that just are, are completely different than most people. They just think so far outside of the box, and they they have these visions for the future that maybe in ten years from now we're actually going to achieve. But maybe Elon Musk, because this whole thing with the Hyperloop that's actually get. When I first heard about the Hyperloop, and he released his ideas is like this massive document he released. He's like, yeah, I have this crazy idea that we can shoot humans through this tube at 700 miles per hour. I don't have the time to do it. So here, take it world and someone do it. And then you hear recently this month, they're starting to build this thing. I mean, what? That's just crazy to me that he just gave away this idea of shooting humans through a tube at 700 miles per hour. And it's actually going to happen. Right. So, I mean, I mean, there are people like Elon Musk and Elon Musk and Steve Jobs who can just think very, so differently than someone like me. And if I can just spend an hour with them, just pick their brain. Maybe they have, maybe they're not just smarter than us. Maybe they just have certain ways of thinking. I think it was uh, Einstein. He used to enter this like, this like mind temple or whatever he called it, where you just like kind of med- meditate for a while. Maybe he was on drugs. I don't know. But he would be able to like really get in this zone where he can really dedicate time to yeah, thinking. That's drugs. Maybe they do that. That's I don't know. Drugs. It could be drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Steve Jobs was a, a known drug user back. Tesla in his early days, would but. also be an interesting guy to bring back to life oh, yes. and hang out with because he was another one of those guys that was brilliant. I mean, if and it's so unfortunate that all of his work or most of his work was kind of just yeah fell by the wayside. I mean, was, Thomas Edison screwed him over a lot. Well. I mean, if you read into what happened, because uh, Tesla was kind of the guy, you know, he was the real guy who invented the electric chair, not uh, not Einstein. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of really interesting. I mean, there was like stories about him making ships disappear and like weird, just weird 
weird science experiments and really interesting stuff. Um, well, he had wireless electricity. Right. At, well, it was a very clunky model, but it was right. Working. Yeah. And like he made like remote control boats and like stuff like that. That was, yeah, yeah, I know really interesting stuff. So he was, he was a brilliant guy. So I guess on to question two from Zach SB says, Hey, if you were CEO of Facebook for a day, what would be the first aspect of its design you would change? Oh, this is so easy. Their stupid algorithm, I would just throw out the door and just never let it back in. Because we we see, and you're seeing this too, I'm seeing it, you post a picture to Facebook, I have 50,000 fans on Facebook, you post a picture, you post a status update, maybe 500 people see it, and not because those people are inactive, because I know a lot more are active, because when I post videos, it's seen by several thousand, it's just because Facebook determines you know, those people may not want to see your picture as if Facebook knows exactly what they want to see. They think they do, but yeah, I would get rid of that algorithm. People follow my page or people follow your page or people follow uh, Barack Obama or Mitt Romney for a reason. They follow them because they want to keep up to date with what they're talking about. If they didn't, they wouldn't follow there, them. There are a couple things that I would like uh, to change. And I know they said the design, um, but I... It's difficult design-wise. Facebook's done a pretty good job design-wise. Um, it can be a, feel a little bit clustered at times, I guess. Um, but I really don't have that many complaints about it as far as a visual uh, tool. I mean, I guess there's something settings-wise I would like if they were easier to find. But here are two things that I would like to see uh, on Facebook. And much to your point, they're more about the algorithm and the way that works. I would love to see something like when you're posting uh, something, let's say on your personal page, you can sort of – prioritize who this goes out to, right? Like, you know, me, I've been obviously over the past weeks, it's been, there's been a lot of like wedding crap, you know, business friends, uh, or people that I've met while out on the road or, uh, things like that, that I know they're not gonna be as interested as let's say my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents. Those are the people who really want to see the stuff about wedding junk and they don't want to miss it. So I would rather just be able to say, Hey, look, Facebook, I want to post this to these friends. And I know you can sort of break friends up into lists and groups and things like that. But I wish there was just a very easy way to be able to just, you know, segregate a whole group of people and say, I really want to post this to these people. It can go out to everybody, but I want these people, you know, and Facebook could limit it to a percentage of your friends if they wanted to do that, whatever. Just something where you could say, like, these people are definitely, definitely, definitely going to get it. Uh, and they're definitely going to see and, and something like, uh, you know, like your Ice Flow Studios page, the way I would envision something like that working would be when people like your page, you know, they, obviously Facebook knows, hey, this person likes Photoshop, this person likes uh, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, right? So let's say you have 150,000 fans to your page. You would post a tutorial on something to do with the NBA Finals, let's say. You would say, all right, I want this to go out to the people who liked my page, who like Photoshop, and who like NBA basketball, right? That way, you know, Sarah Bareilles, who's interested in playing love songs on her guitar and doesn't give a flying crap about sports, she's probably not going to be that interested in the tutorial anyway, so don't serve it to her. Right, so I'm able to then sort of break down my audience of my uh, of my page a little bit easier, you know. And and really, the way to do that now is by promoting the posts, right? Promote this to a certain group of people. If you can go in and and really adjust exactly who the post is being targeted to, but it'd be nice to have more of a a non advertising way to do that. I think that would be a really cool feature on Facebook, uh, both for a personal profile and for like a business page. And to interrupt you for one second, for business pages, they actually do have something like that. On I'm on my Iceflow Studios business page now, and there is a targeting feature, and you can select gender, relationship status, educational status, age, location, language, uh, and interests. Did I say interests? I don't know. But in interest, I can put in like, let's say MBA, and it will only serve that post to people who like NBA or Photoshop, or you can add multiple interests. So on business pages, they do have that, but it would be nice for them to bring yeah, that to I personal that. profiles as well. Yeah, I did not, I did not realize that. But it's very hidden. Right. You can't really yeah, find no, it. Yeah, no, no, that's good. Well, so there we go. We just learned something new together. Um, so there's <laughs> that. But then I guess the other thing that I would love to see is something like, uh, an opt-in automatic opt-out feature 
for pages that you like. And what I mean by that, and this might be controversial if they were to do this, but if somebody doesn't interact with your page, you know, within, I don't know, a month, the like is dropped. Do you know what I'm saying? So the reason I think this would be something that would be good is, again, I wish we would stop worshiping our follow count and start focusing on our interaction count. I would rather have an audience of 3,000 people who are interacting with everything I put up than have an audience of 40,000 mm-hmm. who five people interact. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I, I, it would be a much more honest number you would have. It would be a, a number that as you're building it, it's actually – it's real. It's not just this pie in the sky number. So something where, you know, let's say, you know, Jack Black likes your page and then he goes a month without liking it, he automatically is unliked from your page. You know what I mean? I feel like that would solve a lot of these algorithmic problems as well. Look, if you're on Facebook, you follow a page, interact with it. You know, otherwise it's not going to be there right. anymore. You know, I understand something like that would be probably people would flip out if Facebook would did, were to do it. But I feel like from a page owner standpoint, you would get a much more honest look at your audience. You would have much more motivation to build a real audience, a current audience, uh, an audience that's actually going to interact with the content that you're putting up there uh, and everything. I just feel like it would be better all the way across the board for everybody. It would be very different. It would take a lot of control out of the hands of the people who are liking the pages, sure. Um, but really not really because if you're on Facebook and you're using Facebook and you see the posts, just like, hey, hit the like button. You know, Acknowledge that you saw it. Yeah, and I think instead of maybe just dropping that like from the person's timeline, just in case they haven't seen posts for whatever, maybe let's say if they haven't liked something from your page in a month or two months, something would may pop up a little at the top of your feed. And do you still like Ice Flow Studios? Right, exactly. Yes or no? If they put no, then they drop the like. If they put yes, then maybe they may want to see more posts. I don't know. So they can ask them a little survey to see if they want to see more posts. Yeah, or and less that posts. actually might be a much better way of doing something like that because not only if then if they hit S or yes, excuse me, it might be like, hey, yeah, I kind of forgot about Ice Flow Studios. And that's like, hey, click on Ice Flow right. Studios and hey, we're back in business. You know, that kind of thing. Look, we're solving your problems, Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to question number three from Matt File, possibly. What are some key mistakes p- people make when it comes to branding across social platforms? <sighs> I think for me, the biggest mistake I used to make is not cross is not promoting my other social networks. It seems crazy to promote Twitter on Facebook or promote Facebook on YouTube, but Building your audience on every single social network, I think, is so important because even now, because I have a large Facebook audience and because I used to promote that on YouTube, I'm now serving so much more native video directly on Facebook, which is building up my Facebook audience, which in turn allows me to link to my new content on Facebook and you know all these different social networks. If you're just focusing on one social network, I feel that there's so much opportunity, I don't know how to explain this properly, but there's so much opportunity to capture much larger audiences because each each social network, I think, has different algorithms. Mm-hmm. So if if one favors photos and one favors videos, you're much more likely, if you focus on all of them, for one of your posts to go viral and then you know build up a much bigger audience globally that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if Matt means... Um, branding as far as the graphics you use when you're building your profiles or branding Mm. in terms of the content that you're putting onto those platforms shaping the way people think about your brand. Uh, I mean, if it comes to graphics, it's just a matter of use high-quality graphics and be consistent. Uh, The key mistake is, you know, if you have your LinkedIn, your Google+, your Facebook and your Twitter and maybe Pinterest will throw in there just just because um, and all of them or half of them have different names or different URLs or different uh, avatars and cover images and things like that. You want to be consistent. Um, and when it comes to branding as far as content, much like you were saying, Howard, figure out what's wor- what works best. I, I heard somebody say something like um, – Twitter, a lot of times call to action works great on Facebook, uh, things like a quote or a, a piece from whatever it is. If you're promoting some talk you gave at MIT, you know, leave a quote and then have a link to the video or leave a quote and an image and in the image caption have a link to the video or like we've talked about a few times now on the show, uh, just 
link the video right in Facebook video it you're gonna get great viewership that way uh, with Pinterest you know use images obviously find a, a great killer image um, so things like that where you just you know use what kind of the social platform is built for uh, and, and keep that stuff consistent you know if you have an image that you're putting on to Pinterest, take the time to make sure that image is the YouTube thumbnail and the Facebook video thumbnail. Um, you know, brand brand not only yourself, but brand each project that you're posting to social media as well. I mean, when I create a new video, as I'm sure you do, Howard, um, we're, we're creating almost like a small graphics package that goes with the tutorial, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to submit it to a tutorial, you know, database, you have to have a thumbnail for it. You have to have a thumbnail for your website. You have to have a YouTube thumbnail. You maybe want a larger cover image for Facebook or Google Plus, you know, so you have all these different things and they're all a little bit different, but they obviously all need to sort of be the same. Um, so, you know, that, I mean, that would basically be what I would say about branding across social media is is consistency and high quality. Like do do good work. If you do good work, that covers up for a lot of crap elsewhere. Do good work. Like I can't I can't emphasize that enough. So awesome. Question. The last question of the day. The four uh, the four big questions this week. The last of them is Sarah Parker. Uh, would you design logos and such rather in Illustrator or is it okay to do stand your ground is it okay to stand your ground with photoshop so do you and, and uh, hashtag just like ps better just like photoshop better <laughs> um so obviously somebody who wants to design a logo in photoshop rather than illustrator howard is it okay to design a logo in photoshop rather than Illustrator? sure you can design a logo in microsoft paint if you if that's what you're if that's what you're familiar with go for it i'm i mean Personally speaking, I very, very rarely use Illustrator because I just feel more comfortable in Photoshop. And Photoshop has vector capabilities. If you know what you're doing, you can use the shape tool, you can use the pen tool, which I absolutely love, by the way. And you can design vector images in Photoshop. You can export them as uh, uh, EPS. Yep, Is that the EPS, one? EPS, yep. Whatever it is, yep. Uh, yeah, if you're more comfortable in Photoshop, Stick with it. It's going to be different than Illustrator, obviously. You're going to have a few less capabilities than you would in Illustrator. Not everything is going to be vector, yep. but go for it. Use Photoshop. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, just like Howard said. I it, There's there's really nothing wrong with doing it. The, the argument against designing in Photoshop is it's not vector, uh, and it's not, but Photoshop does have vector tools. The EPS that, a mm -hmm. that Photoshop sends out is what's called a Photoshop EPS, so it's not like a real EPS, but it is vector, and you can scale it up as large as you want uh, there in Photoshop. And you can always output a PNG. You can always output a JPEG. You can always output a TIFF or a, a Photoshop PDF or whatever. You know, whatever you want to output, you can do it all. So absolutely, you can uh, do it from Photoshop. I think the real issue, other than the technicality of vector, I think really why people like to, to jump into Illustrator is because Illustrator more than Photoshop sort of forces you to work with blocks of color rather than getting mm. sucked into layer styles and drop shadows and gradients, which really technically speaking a logo shouldn't have i mean one, one of the greatest things i ever heard about a logo is your logo should be strong enough that you can reduce it to just a solid black or white shape and it's still recognizable think coca-cola mm -hmm. think fedex think uh you know any any nfl team in america think any uh, british soccer club uh think all of these uh uh, on a global scale, companies like Sony, uh, obviously, uh, Mitsubishi, all these car manufacturers, right? You can reduce their logo to boom, black and white, bam. I know what that is. Mercedes, Mitsubishi, uh, Ford, you know, Jaguar, whatever. You can just pick them right out. Bam, bam, McDonald's. All of these companies, you can reduce it to just black or white, and people will know exactly what it is. Apple, right? I mean, Apple had the multicolor thing going on, and Apple even does have the 3D version of their logo. But it's really, I mean, Apple is the flat black Apple logo. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think that's really, at its heart, the, the, the reason a lot of people really, really, really uh, love to work with Illustrator. It's more of like a drawing tool, which is really what you're doing with the logo is you're drawing it rather than p 
painting it or uh, doctoring it up, manipulating it like you would expect uh, to feel or find in something like Photoshop. That being said, there's really, if, if you're more proficient with Photoshop, by all means, I mean, design the logo in Photoshop. Um, but obviously, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that you design it in Photoshop using vector shapes. There's so many times I work with clients where they've had somebody design yes. it in Photoshop and they have one size JPEG or PNG and we need to go bigger and we can't. So mm -hmm. that's that's it's the worst. That's that, yeah. Yeah. So $25 gift card, either Amazon or iTunes. iTunes, if you're in the US, I'm going to put you on the spot, Nathaniel. Oh, I, it's all yours I, this week. I was week. just going to say I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have to go. I, I kind of like Sarah's question. I think it's a very helpful question. Uh, I do like Zach's as well uh, with Facebook uh, and changing what we would change with that. Um, I kind of got schooled in that question, though, so I got to probably pass on that one. I'll go with my girl, Sarah. And uh, All right. Sarah Parker, I will get in touch with you. Actually, no. We're, no, that's not how we're doing this. You will get, Once you hear this, once you hear that you have won this $25 gift card, you will get in touch with me. Uh, send me a message on Twitter at Iceflow Studios. I will reply to you, and we'll get you hooked up with either Amazon or iTunes gift card if you are in the U.S. I believe Sarah is in the U.S., um, and that will just about yep. do it for episode number four of the We Geeks podcast brought to you by Squarespace.com. If you do want to jump on board, eight bucks a month, use 10% off coupon We Geeks. That's W-E-G-E-E-K-S. And if you want to help us out and make sure the podcast keeps going, patreon.com slash We Geeks. You can tip us monthly, $1, $5, $800, whatever you can afford. Any closing thoughts, Mr. Last Single Day or Last Day Single? Yeah, I mean, next time we do it. the podcast, I'll be married. I got to throw. Your life is going to change yeah, right. by, the next, gonna a, by next I'm going to need to pull the Michelle and tell my wife to go. It just sounds so weird saying my wife because it's never, oh, it's I know. never it's been different. a thing to me before. It's never. Maybe our wives can do a podcast right, together. Be, we call it Eminem, Michelle and Melanie. Oh, there you right? go. So it would be it would mm. be perfect if you like what it's like to be married to these two weirdos. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll it'll be exciting. It'll be cool. I'm gonna. I got stuff. Plenty of stuff I'm doing in the morning. My photo shoot got canceled uh, for the morning of the uh. wedding, which actually might be a blessing in disguise because it is one thirty one a.m. right now. And I still have about 120 photos I need to retouch for another client of mine. And I need to be up in about five and a half hours from now. Hmm. So you can just do selfies. So, yeah. So it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting night. It'll be fun though. Um, and the wedding will be a blast. Uh, I'm learning a lot from it. Like I was telling you before, Howard, if this is teaching me one thing, my own wedding is going to make me so much of a better wedding photographer. Not that I really want to get back into wedding photography. I actually, honestly, you know, it's maybe want to get into, it's maybe wanting to get into wedding coordination and wedding venue because at least mm. our venue, I feel like I could do it so much better. And there's a decent amount of money. It seems like in it. And there really is not a lot of competition and everybody's looking for a venue and, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I could I could construct a beautiful venue and hook it up and, you know, I don't know, just like a little side thing. But anyway, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It'll be it'll be a fun day. It'll be an interesting day. I'm, you know, I'm do my thing in the morning. I'm go get married in the afternoon and, you know, hang with the family and the friends and 250 people in the evening and and then, you know, spend night together, wedding night, come home Saturday afternoon. We're going to try to get together with family and go sightseeing in Philadelphia, depending on how crippling uh, everything is supposed to be. We're supposed to have a beautiful sunny day today, Friday. Mm, uh, you never know. March 6th. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you never know. But the, the nice thing about the snow is I have seven brothers and sisters, and I'm the only dark-haired one of us. All the rest of them are gingers, and I'm talking like fiery, soulless mm -hmm. gingers. Right. I mean, put copper cab to shame kind of soulless gingers. How did that happen? And, and it, they're pale. They're like Queen Victoria pale makeup kind of pale. Um, so the snow is going to make my family look not pale, but rather porcelain. So oh, it'll, it'll Beautiful. be like walking out to a giant softbox. So hopefully we'll get some great photos. <laughs> um, and yeah, I know it'll be a fun day. Yeah, and the next podcast, I mean, episode five, we'll be married. And we'll kick it off like, hey, Mr. Nathaniel Dodson. Although my name isn't really changing. So it, it won't really be like that at all, I guess. But mm. it'll be fun. It'll be a good day. It'll be an exciting day. I'm pumped for it. I'm not that anxious uh, yet. 
but I'm sure the nerves will come at some point. But. Oh, they will. I was sick to my stomach the day of uh, <laughs> the day I was getting married. It was. I didn't think I was gonna make it. I was so sick. But it was it was a happy nerves, right? You know? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't scared. I wasn't thinking of running I, away. Honestly, just, some of the stuff that's yeah. going through my mind is I've memorized my vows. I'm not reading them off of anything, and I'm gonna I want to nail it. I don't mm-hmm. want to cry. I don't think I will. But you I you know what did. I mean? Yeah. Like you're right there, and it's like you get swept up in the moment. And I'm like, my older brother didn't cry. I have the responsibility not to cry. And I got to pass that to my younger brothers as they go and get married. So that's number one. But number two, we're singing a song together instead of doing our first dance. And I'm not that great at singing. And I've never sung in front of a group of people before. So that's going to be interesting. But I hope it's being it filmed. Is. It is being filmed. Mm. I rented a very expensive video camera and it's all being filmed. Mm. So maybe in the next few weeks, we'll have a video that we can share or put somewhere. <laughs> and you guys can either admire skill that I have or laugh at the lack thereof. Either way, I don't care. I won't be offended. And you know what? You know what's sad? It's more likely to go viral if it, you're absolutely, absolutely. terrible. And, and you know what? <laughs> I am okay with that. Yeah, you because should Because I'm an American. There you so, go, America. Yeah, so that's it. So yeah, it'll be it'll be good. And well, well, a big congratulations. I appreciate it for your uh, appreciate it, man. Night before you're you're getting married. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. I'll, I'll try. And next week you will be a married yep, man. And I'll be back in business working. And uh, we're not we're not really hitting the honeymoon thing until probably early summer. That's the plan, at least. Uh, and you better stop may, in Denver. We may take well, we may take a short plane ride somewhere just for a couple days to sort of plan the honeymoon um, and get away from everything, get away from just here. You know what I mean? Because it's just been such a crazy few months. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's it. That wraps it up. Awesome. It's a wrap. Sweet. Episode four. Thank you, everyone, for listening to We Geeks Podcast, episode number four. We will see you next week. Make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and check out WeGeeksPodcast.com. We'll see you yeah, next absolutely. week. Check it out, guys. Thanks for watching, listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>